Yes, uh, I'm Ann Friedman, and I'm a volunteer with a group called the uh, Good Faith Communities Coalition, and we're an organization of faith communities in, in the district. We're working on, uh, okay. Uh, we're working at this time with Wynn, and who I know you work with in this uh, community. They were unable to be with you this morning, so I am sort of a substitute uh, talking uh, literally about um, our initiative at this time, which is about the uh, Idaho Avenue uh, uh, short-term family housing. But picking up uh, on what Fred said, there's another statistic on housing in the district, uh, which sort of brings home the same kind of uh, urgency that he spoke of, which is that if you make minimum wage in the district now, which is 9.50 an hour, you need to work 120 hours a week 52 weeks a year to afford a two-bedroom apartment at market rate. So you can see uh, how this problem escalates and what the impact of it is. Um, if some months uh, your job has gone away, uh, you can't pay the rent, and you suddenly find yourself homeless, and particularly if you're homeless and you're a homeless family. So that's a little bit about what we want to talk about this morning. So. Let me give you a sort of a quick outline of what I want to talk about. And um, this isn't a formal presentation, and I don't have PowerPoint slides, so please interrupt me if I'm talking too much about what you already know or not enough about what you would like to know, <coughs> because I uh, certainly have more data than you ever are interested in hearing. So I want to talk a little bit about the specific of uh, this uh, Idaho housing that has been proposed and is actually planned and is actually moving forward on Idaho Avenue uh, ne <coughs> near the second district uh, police station. It will be a facility of 30,000 square feet. Uh, it will have housed 38 to 50 families who have been homeless. Uh, for prop the goal is for 60 days. Uh, they would move there from an assessment uh, after they are declared homeless. Uh, they would stay there through a transition period and then would move to what is called more established housing, and which is, again, an apartment subsidized by the city, uh, which would then, out of that after a year, move them into permanent housing. So that's 38 to 50 families. Um, and of that, of those families, the historic data says that each of those families has 1.8 children. So you're likely to have at capacity about 50, uh, about 100 children at any given time living in the facility. 48% of those are elementary school children. So 48 of the 100 are likely to go <coughs> to need elementary education. And from the uh, data that they know and use in the planning in the district, uh, about 10% of those go to the local school. The rest of them go to the school where they lived originally and they're transported at city, uh, through city uh, transportation to the school of their origin. So those are the figures around who, who is going to be there, how long they're going to stay, and basically how many children you will see in the facility. Uh, the short-term housing uh, is not the typical shelter that we talk about. Nobody lines up every night for a bed. These are, our families are placed there after assessment. Uh, they are guaranteed a place to stay, and there is no in and out 
every evening for placement in, in this uh, housing. So this is the kind of situation. Uh, there are uh, services provided at the site for the families, and it is an attempt to get them and uh, to assess what they need to move towards established housing, whereby uh, they would uh, have the skills that they may need. These are very frequently mothers in their early 20s with one or two, usually a single mother, and usually with one or two children. So this is the picture of the housing and how it will be used. Um, I want to go back a little bit and talk just quickly about how uh, the development of these small short-term housing uh, came about in the city. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about um, where we're going, moving ahead uh, as a part of the larger faith community in Ward 3. So is there any, uh, stop here now, does everybody have sort of a clear picture of um, what kind of housing we're talking about? Is there anything I can answer here? Local elementary. Yes. Yes. Yes, so probably four to five students would be uh, the maximum. Uh, and this is historical data from the current shelter system uh, in 2016. So it's recent data. Most families opt to try and maintain as much connection with where they have been and the neighborhoods they've lived in. Uh, they're not looking for new experiences. They're looking to keep that child established where they are and the city will provide transportation so that can be done. The uh, families in shelter now go to 50 schools in the district and they're transported to those schools. So you have a sense of that, yes. Uh, it is not considered a shelter because it is not day to day. So uh, it is part of that continuum, yes. Yes, that's part of the assessment and work that will go on that is started while they're in this short-term housing and continues when they move on to the next step. There, no, the, the, uh, the services will be brought in and they expect about 10 to 15 uh, facilitators and service providers to work with the, work with the site. Yes. This is part of the, the total screening that goes on. Uh, there is a nationally vetted uh, screening uh, instrument that is used to determine uh, the eligibility of families for this uh, homeless program. And that is done at the Virginia Williams Center. It's a, uh, the city has adopted that program. It takes into account all of the components of the family. Uh, but uh, the, the responsibilities in families for money to support children, to su that is all taken into account uh, legally as well as psychologically within the family. So yes, that is all part of the assessment. What the goal is, is to bring this family to stability so that they can exist 
independently with whatever support the city can give and then to prosper on their own. But you're facing that rent problem, uh, which is really one of the larger issues in the city. Yes. Yeah, and that's, let me go on then. Oh. Yeah, okay, I was going to talk to you about that. The way, uh, the way this project has evolved, uh, there is a major uh, family shelter now, which is at DC General. It has 280 units there. The building is dilapidated, never meant, was meant for families to live there, and it, for years, closing that facility has been a high priority. So basically, uh, when Mayor Bowser was running for election, her, uh, that was one of her real mandates, that she would close DC General, but that kind of emergency housing has to be replaced. There has to be some emergency placement for families or you're going to have them on the street and you're going to have them in living in cars. And that nobody wants to see children I in any kind of danger like that. So how do you move then from a very large facility, what, how do you replace it? And her answer was that we need to do it with smaller facilities throughout the city and replace the 280 units are there. And once those units are replaced, then DC General can close. And the feeling was, and it's based really on not only just a feeling that smaller facilities are better, but a lot of national studies and national work um, that has really produced uh, that smaller shelters work better. And I think as we look at neighborhood schools, people like smaller, and smaller means just more interaction, not only with the staff, but also with the neighborhood and a much better feeling within the group. So that this, her thought was to place a new short-term housing in each of the eight wards of the city. And then after she was elected, uh, she uh, hired probably one of the best technical advisors uh, on producing this kind of housing, uh, somebody who had worked for the city under the Venti administration and then uh, became a part of the national uh, group on homelessness uh, in the Obama administration and is now back in the city. Her name is Laura Zeilinger, very, very technically competent in how these should be carried out. The next piece came then, of course, uh, sh um, the mayor, uh, did put together a strategic plan called Homer DC, which outlined in great detail how this would be carried out. And so in the last two years, she has tried to work now to place uh, where these facilities would be in each of the eight wards. Uh, she announced her locations in, in February uh, in seven of the wards. Um, and um, if you followed in Ward 3, uh, the placement was first on Wisconsin Avenue, uh, just south of the cathedral. Uh, and then when the council became involved, because they are involved because of the funding of this situation, uh, some of the concerns about that uh, location uh, certainly surfaced. Uh, and the council uh, moved the location from Wisconsin Avenue to the city-owned land which is near the police station on um, Idaho Avenue. Uh, one can discuss a lot about the movement of 
the shelter, or as it was called at that time, from Wisconsin Avenue to Idaho. And I can go into the details if you're interested. Uh, it is set now firmly on the Idaho site. Uh, it, city land is involved, and so they do not have to purchase the land. And it is uh, then at the end of the uh, developer involvement of it, the city will own the property, uh, will own the facility. That was not going to be the case on Wisconsin Avenue, and that was the problem that really sort of, uh, sort of convinced the council that they had to move to city land. So uh, there are uh, sites in each of uh, uh, six other wards. One ward does not have a site. Uh, at this time, uh, they apparently only needed seven of the eight wards to uh, actually uh, cover the number of uh, units that they needed to develop. So that's the picture. Does anybody have any questions on, on that? Uh, 2019 will be the completion for all of them, and then at that time, uh, DC General should close. Well, veterans, uh, the Veterans Initiative is for single individuals. This is strictly for families. And that has a 2017 housing all veterans, uh, chronically homeless veterans. Uh, they're close, but whether they're going to make it or not is not clear. And that's not for lack of trying. There's been an uh, enormous number of placements over the past year. Uh, so many of the chronically homeless are very difficult to reach, and it's a matter of building trust with them. Friendship Place has been very involved in that, building trust with them, and sometimes that's not a quick thing that happens. So they're working at it very successfully in doing that. Yes. The police station is pretty much across from McLean Gardens. There's a playground, there's tennis courts, and the police station sits right on a, a very large facility. I think the whole plot is 48,000 square feet. And so this will occupy a piece of that. Uh, they, uh, where they are, and, and let me go on to tell you a little bit about where the process is right now. It, what is called a community advisory committee has been set up. Uh, that's with representatives from the police, the schools, uh, the architect, uh, the city department of human services, the ANC are all participating, and I think one of the civic associations also are participating. And what they are looking at is how how you place this facility on the site. There obviously was an initial assessment done before they uh, decided to go with this. And so that will all be worked in. There may be, have to be some kind of stack parking in a parking structure or something, but that has to be taken account. And the police uh, have a representative, which and his, his or her purpose is to make sure that police operations are not uh, problematic given the new facility. So that's all part of the planning that's going on, but that's well recognized there. Yeah. Sure. 
Okay, fine. I'll be glad to. I'm now that we've lost some of your questions. Uh, is there anything else? All right. What I um, would like to uh, uh, pass out to you now, and this is one of the. Um, let me just take this and copy of this and read it as your leisure. This is um, on the first page, on the cover page, uh, sort of an overall statement uh, of exactly uh, what um, the um, particular um, aspects of the uh, facility are going to be. And um, then on the second page is what really are the sort of uh, frequently asked questions. And what we asked you to do with this is, as you talk to people, and we hope that this conversation will go beyond this group, uh, to use this to give to people to sort of set what are the facts about this and what some of the questions are and sort of what, what we're sort of leading up to. Uh, the final thing that I want to talk about is that um, as member, there is obviously uh, any time you have a, a plan, a facility like this in, in a community, uh, there are concerns and people are certainly working through them. Uh, there is um, the ANC of the area has been very concerned uh, and again, they are have uh, a place on this advisory committee. So um, that should give them an opportunity uh, to sort of bring their questions and hopefully they can be resolved. Uh, there is another group in the area who are in the process or actually have sued the city on the placement of the uh, short-term homeless, uh, short-term family housing in that area. The, um, the point of the suit is extremely narrow legal point uh, and it is uncertain how the law actually will be interpreted in this. But it is not uh, saying that we don't want a short-term housing in our ward. It is saying we don't think the process was handled the way it should have been. So we'll leave that to the courts to, uh, to decide. Uh, the, the faith community has come together and is really feeling uh, that there needs to be some positive voice uh, out there on uh, really looking to welcoming within Ward 3 uh, families who have been homeless, families who are looking to st uh, stabilize their life, and really sort of what we are trying as we work with WIN to get the faith communities to really sort of make a statement through individuals in the community and also as congregations that we support welcoming families into our area and into our ward. And so that's really the kind of uh, sort of moving forward that we would like to see Chevy Chase Presbyterian take on. Uh, so I asked Fred if this is how we do this and uh, maybe you want to talk about it. I think this is something maybe we ask the mission committee to uh, consider and then uh, bring it up at the session. I think I know that Eric Peltz has been involved in the WIND process and has been keeping the mission committee apprised of what's going on. And uh, Bill Hoffman has also been 
uh, part of, uh, of the WIN conversations about homelessness. So I think they're involved. And I, but I think if we, if you could say a word about, you know, is it a write-in campaign? Is it a, is it an advocacy? How do we advocate effectively? How nice of you to ask that question. Yeah, right. Um, so um, what we have done is, and this is sort of for you as a community to sort of take on how your individual response will be because there are many ways and many feelings and probably a lot of discussion that has to go on in a community before you can decide on a response. Uh, there are basically what we're interested in seeing is to raise the voice of people from faith communities that they are uh, ready and, uh, uh, and willing to take on uh, sort of welcoming the stranger among them in this community. And there will be opportunities for, as the uh, facility opens, for volunteer activities. Uh, there will be opportunities uh, to work with the city to make sure that the, the services are maintained, that the facility is maintained. So a lot going on to just make sure that this is a successful uh, opportunity uh, for everybody here. And so um, what we're looking for, um, I think, uh, is sort of three sort of initiatives that you as a committee, either through the mission committee or uh, some other committee, uh, uh, would like to take undertake. First of all, we're looking for emails, and I have, Lord forbid, I should not have a handout. Um, for uh, let me, I have something there. Perhaps you have some. Uh, if you, um, and this is uh, a very prescribed sort of. Uh, list of how one might do an email. It tells you uh, who we're looking for emails to. One is to Mary Che. Mary Che is obviously the council member from this area. Carl Roller is the head of the ANC um, uh, uh, 3C. And Laura Zeilinger is the director of, of human services. And what we would like is a voice from this community that we do support it, from individual people within this community. You don't have to live in Ward 3. Uh, you, you can uh, say, I worship in Ward 3 at Chevy Chase Presbyterian Church, and this is my voice about how I, would, how I feel about this. Uh, in this handout that I've just given to you, it gives you the email addresses, and it also gives you sort of a way you can structure an email. Uh, I have spent lot of my political life uh, working uh, within the system of uh, elected officials. And there is one thing that I think is important to remember as you, if you write on this, they are looking not for nuanced statements. Uh, basically, they're counting the number of emails they get. And I know that breaks everybody's heart as they spend hours toiling over just how I would say this. Doesn't happen. Uh, I have been in a, uh, working in an office. I ran uh, the office for an elected official. We had 700 emails in one day from the bike community wanting some particular change in the law. All you're doing is counting them. Supporter counting. 
So uh, it's very important that the subject line of your email shows your position. <laughs> so <laughs> and I don't, this is terrible to say to people, but I just don't feel people should waste a lot of time. So it's support for short-term family housing in Ward 3. That's the, what you want checked off on their bo box. You're for it, you're not against it. Whether they read it or not, I, I uh, you know, I just. If you live in Ward 4, would you write your council member then or another ward? What you do is say, I worship in this Ward 3 community at the Chevy Chase Presbyterian Church, and I, you just define yourself how you're involved in the Ward 3. This is a Ward 3 issue. And uh, that's where Ward 3 people matter. Uh, we're walk working with a number of uh, congregations in... Uh, Ward 2, have a, um, but are very involved through their parishioners in, in Ward 3. So you, try, you can identify yourself as a part of this community, therefore you're concerned about this community, and you want to bring forth your support. That certain, yes? I do have a question about the Ward 4. I know it's something different, but it's still in the Ward 4. Mm -hmm. And I would say that people like you are homeless, are, are men out there. I, I don't think I have ever seen uh, a mother with children as being homeless. I, when, where are they now? Wh who's, who's housing them? Obviously, it says on here you have some uh, 800 families. Well, they must be housed somewhere. No, I, I don't think out on the street. At least I haven't seen them. Uh, the 800 families that is described here are living in motels on New York Avenue. Yeah, so you have that's the overflow from the 280 at DC General. So you have a whole family living in a single room in a motel. So uh, New York Avenue motels are not near Ward 3. And so uh, you, this, this is the reality of it. And so the, the intent in the long term is to phase out all of that motel use and uh, to use this 280 units that they're developing in the seven wards and that that would be the emergency system. Motels would only be a winter overflow that they had and then to establish a very robust housing, permanent housing program after this short-term housing. Now this is not all gonna be accomplished in a day, but that and the plan is very clear and it's really a nationally vetted plan. This isn't just uh, the D.C. government coming up with this. It's just a matter of how can you build enough housing uh, that can be afforded by this group? Uh, how do you develop the housing available? And this is a result of the gentrification that has happened in this city in very short period of time, and people are displaced. Now, if you go over on New York Avenue, you will see the reality of this. If you go to D.C. General, you see the reality of this. And they're feeling this reality in the schools where you have so many children who come who are from very, you can't live in a, I could not have lived in a motel room with my family uh, for longer than a week before I, I, we would be totally dysfunctional as a group, <laughs> charming as they were. Uh, so, uh, and I don't think, you know, this is not good. So, yes. Uh, Mike Tang, uh, the two for the, uh, this is Sydney 
forking out for the 280 at DC General and then for the other, the total 800? The cost of poverty is, uh, it's not cheap. To keep a family at DC General for a year is $55,000 a family. To keep somebody in a motel is running about $12,000. They're just paying a nightly fee there. In DC General, they're actually, I think, folding some of the uh, facility costs into that because the security costs there and the, the such de degradation to the facility itself is expensive. So, so who is actually uh, Yes, your numbers, I mean, I'll, I'll do, let you go with your multiplication, yes. So, and, and then, but it's a matter of then how do you shift the money? You've got to maintain DC General while you're developing the other system. So you've really got double costs going on until you can close DC General. So it's not inexpensive, but it is a reality. It is a part of our community. How do we support people who have very small safety net and people who are sort of shut out of some of the opportunity <coughs> that are available? So, you know, it's not, an, it's a, not a simple question at all. Which one? Similar question. What is the difference between the uh, need expressed in terms of money and the availability of the money? What is the shortfall? And I'm not looking for a, a, a number. I'm just looking for a dimension. We're getting broadly into, through your question, which is a good one, into how much is a, uh, a robust safety net in this city going to cost, uh, which would provide short-term assistance to people for who lost their job or who were uh, had a sick child and needed to be, you know, whatever kind of circumstances that they, they would need. Uh, most of this assistance comes through a program, which you probably read about, uh, called Temporary Aid to Needy Families. That was a federal program, it's 20 years old, came out of the welfare reform in the 90s. Uh, and so where the city is now is that the t uh, local program, Temporary Aid to Needy Families, provides assistance for 60 months to families who are either homeless or who have uh, disabilities, who uh, people who cannot make it on their own. In that program, they are given financial training, they're given job training, they're given all of the kinds of training that in 60 months should lead them to an independent life. Uh, the restructuring of that program, which is happening nationally at the federal level, also at the local level, is uh, in the uh, city council now for consideration. How do you, is 60 months the right length of time? Are there people who simply can't work because of disability, because of uh, health programs of a child with a disability where it makes much more sense for the parent to be there with the child? All of those kind of, how do you factor those things in? Um, the, the program uh, last year and this year has about 6,000 families that are gonna age out of the program. 
uh, the city council has every each of the two years uh, put $10 million more in the budget to keep those families on minimal assistance, which is $165 a month, until they can get the structuring of the program right. Uh, the the uh, council member, Nadeau, Nadeau, has made a proposal which uh, uh, sort of works into a better safety net, a more flexible safety net, continue some people on after the 60 months because of their disability, and that full funding of that would be an additional $30 million. So th with that change in the temporary aid to needy families, uh, people feel that the safety net will be developed such that uh, families once established can use it in and out to help them when problems arise that certainly their circumstances can't accommodate. But that's $30 million annually. So it's not an inexpensive uh, and a lot of debate around it. I live on that corridor on the new Cathedral Commons area and you see homeless men panhandling some of them are homeless. I found some of them are con artists. And the other part, though, is that there are women, too, and they're up in that area but with no shelter. So now we're saying family services. And um, one thing for me, because I do, I have to take a bus now, I find people all the way down in Georgetown. And we're just, how, we're moving families, but how, what as, as, people of faith, what do we do for people that are standing there? I don't know if you have an answer, um, to, but that's not your problem. The other part is giants there, and I'm sure they throw out crates of vegetables, and I heard of gleaning when I was in California. Is there a way for the shelter to learn to glean the, the produce and things like that? Just to like save the cost for the city, thank you. And I would say to you, there are probably uh, people with more in information about this. Uh, but for instance, the Trader Joe's in, G in Georgetown. Miriam's Kitchen goes there daily, gathers all of the, uh, the fruits and vegetables that they would be throwing out, take it back to the kitchen, and whatever they get is what they produce for lunch. And so there's a lot of that kind of taking things from grocery stores and, you know, causing them to become part of the food chain for, uh, for a number of people. The family situation uh, that we're talking about on the Idaho uh, particular housing, that is the piece that has become, is most critical because of the children involved, where you don't want children living in situations which are detrimental to their well-being any longer than you can. So that really has been what the attention has been in this. The other attention, as you mentioned, is the veterans' homelessness. And that was an, and money is flowing from the federal government to do that. Once money flows from the federal government, uh, then there is m obviously more ability to handle this. So that, that is uh, what, ha what has happened there. The chronically homeless beyond that uh, you have shelters in the city, 
uh, and that is another whole challenge. Those shelters have to be replaced. New York Avenue, there's one. There's one over near Georgetown Law School. And all of these are just housing people. They're not doing anything beyond that. So the next wave, when the next speaker comes back to talk to you, is where can we place homeless shelters for men? And these are truly shelters. You stand in line every night to find a bed, and you have to be out at 7 in the morning. So that's the other piece of this whole picture of homelessness that, that this city is in. And if you have been involved in any of the encampments with the tents, again, how do you respect people's rights, but on the other hand, respect the rights of the people living in the city? So, uh, so I think we're coming to the end of uh, my allotted time. So email messages, we hope uh, everybody, uh, and I hope it's worked through this community because there's certainly your congregation is much larger than this. Uh, the second thing that we would hope is that the congregation as a whole would be willing to sign a letter in support. Uh, we will have uh, a draft letter sometime in the next couple of weeks that we will send to Eric. And uh, uh, we were writing by committee this week, and I don't know if any of you have ever written by committee. <laughs> But I need a week off before I'm, I'm mentally capable of getting back to writing by committee, uh, uh, particularly because one of them were, was a lawyer. And I tell you, I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I am not mentally strong enough right now to take on any more writing. So, uh, so we have that. The other challenge we would like to, as Win and Good Faith would like to leave with you, uh, we are trying to get every congregation in Ward 3 to sign this letter. And what we, uh, there are 27 congregations in Ward 3, and we're hoping that perhaps you take this message to the National Presbyterian Church, and see, who are also in Ward 3, as uh, the other Presbyterian congregation we have found in Ward 3, and interest them in becoming a part of this. And finally, if you, uh, as you talk through in your congregation, anybody who is really is passionate about this, uh, lives in the area around the proposed short-term housing, who would be interested in testifying at the zoning hearing. Uh, there will be a zoning hearing in December. Uh, we would be interested in knowing who they are. We have uh, five people now and we're trying to get as close to 10 as we can. There'll be some training and some, uh, obviously, some development of message. So that's it. Say, Eric uh, told me yesterday uh, that he did sort of a geographic plot of like our congressional congregational members, and that only a handful, maybe two or three, maybe Elsie's one, lives in that A and C. Yeah, so, um, you know, as you uh, think about where you are on this, uh, there are a lot of issues to be worked through, and I, I certainly am respectful of that. Um, and um, we hope that you will continue to be interested. Uh, I think it's a citywide problem. I think it's not a tr problem with an inexpensive solution. Uh, but somehow, as our city has changed uh, and has become a vibrant city, we have to sort of remember those people who somehow, and because of just things that are not 
their safety net is just not what it, it could be and should be and has to be that we have to remember going in this. Yes. We are a, uh, a group of faith communities in, uh, in the district. Uh, we work with um, very much more limited focused uh, than WIN does. We are only uh, work on affordable housing and homelessness issues. Uh, we work with congregations uh, to present them information on the issues on a regular basis so that they are aware of where these issues are and information that they might act on. So we work through the congregation, as in the, as you can see today, I'm sort of turning over to the congregation. What is your response? Here is the information that you need to know to have a response. And so that is sort of uh, our operation and the way we sort of uh, approach things. Um, <laughs> uh, no, the, uh, the group itself has been around about seven years. Uh, John, Reverend John Graham uh, at Grace Episcopal is the, cha uh, is the chair of the board. Uh, and the group grew out of uh, the Social Justice Committee at Holy Trinity Catholic Church in Georgetown. And it is an interfaith group. It has moved beyond them, but that's the nucleus of the people came from that. Uh, desiring to do ad advocacy in the community uh, as well as the service uh, that they did. So, all right, thank you. I enjoyed being here.